says, Hear another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a wine press in it and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. And when the time of the first, sorry, when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it. And the husbandmen took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. But last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. When the Lord, therefore, of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? They say unto him, He will miserably destroy those wicked men, and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus saith unto them, Did ye never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected, the same is become the head of the corner? This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. And when the chief priests and the Pharisees had heard his parables, they perceived that he spake of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude, because they took him for a prophet. I'll pray before I continue. Lord, we're grace glad to look into your word again this morning. And Lord, I just ask that you would help me, um, help me to be clear in what I have to say this morning. I just pray that these things would be helpful in some way, that we would be encouraged and strengthened through this time, we just commit it to you and ask your blessing again in Jesus' name. Amen. So, this parable doesn't take a lot of added thought to, to really see what Jesus is saying here, does it? It's, it's so clear, especially in the outcome of it, in the conversation that follows, he's talking about the Jews. He's talking exactly about what has taken place through the history of the Bible and is even forecasting what was about to happen. <laughs> and so this almost sums up the entire story of our Bible in this one little parable. And it starts off with the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, such as it is the Jewish, you know, it would be the church before the current church, right? He starts off, says, <clears throat> there was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it about and digged a wine press in it and built a tower 
and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. And we see God is the one who establishes his church. God is the one who started this whole thing. He took Abraham, he set him aside, he called him out, and he established a people that were to be set apart for him. But God didn't personally come and physically supervise and control all that took place in that is God gave people the instruction. He established the church and then God gave people the instruction to take over and run that thing. And he gave Moses a law and he gave priests and Levites and all these people over I'm just going to call it his church but it's over you know, it's not the church in Israel, but it's essentially. But he put these people over the church. And they were to follow and take care of this thing until he returned. They were supposed to be fruitful. <laughs> I just want to, we'll just look at a couple of scriptures here. Isaiah 61 Just speaking of, God uses this same terminology that Jesus is using in this parable. And he's speaking to the leaders of the religious Jews. People who studied, memorized, and really knew the scriptures. And so when he uses this parable of the vineyard, they ought to know exactly what he's saying. and We get Isaiah 61, verse 3. It says, To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of of the Lord, that he might be glorified. And God has a purpose. His purpose is set out here. It's to give them beauty for ashes, joy for mourning, praise instead of heaviness. God wants good things for us. <laughs> and he set up, he established the church and the law and the, his people for the purpose of blessing them in these ways. And he describes it as his people are a planting of the Lord. He describes them as trees that he's planted. If we look over at Psalm chapter 80, we see another description of that. Psalm 80, verse 15, says, And the vineyard which thy right hand hath planted, and the branch that thou madest strong for thyself. It's describing his people 
as a vine, a vineyard that his hand has planted. God chose his people and he planted them as a vineyard. It's the exact description that Jesus is using in this parable. I hope you didn't go too far out of Isaiah. If you look back in Isaiah chapter 5, it gives a further description of this. Isaiah 5 verse 2 says, let's start in verse 1 because we're right there. Now will I sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. And he fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with the choicest vine and built a tower in the midst of it and also made a wine press therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes and it brought forth wild grapes. But we see in the planting of God's vineyard, in God planting his church, he gave it everything needed to be fruitful. If you ever planted a garden, you don't just throw the seeds in and then come back at harvest time and gather a harvest. There's a lot of care that goes into it between, there's a lot of care that goes in even before the planting, right? We have to prepare the soil. We have to make it ready to receive the seed. And when we put the seed in, we need to water it. We need to weed it. We need to, to care for that garden. And that's exactly what he's describing here. You notice we actually have to plant our gardens? <laughs> Naturally, the things that we eat as a whole doesn't just grow of itself. <laughs> we need to, the, the good fruit, the food that we need is stuff that we need to plant. Now, some of us, someone's going to point out, we go... We go picking blueberries. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you drive in your car for an hour and a half to the other side of Nipigon to your good blueberry picking spot and you pick a few pails of blueberries. Okay. <laughs> You're going to live on that for the year? That's like, these are treats. We have a spot where that was logged just up the road from us and I was hoping for blueberries and I went there this year and it's covered in wild raspberries. Do you know how big wild raspberries are? <laughs> it's not the same as picking cultivated raspberries, is it? The things that we plant and take care of and produce are way more productive than the wild things that grow. We would never survive just off of what grows naturally. We need to plant and care for that. And that's really what God is describing, is what he did for the nation of Israel. He planted them. He took care of them. It even says that he put a hedge <laughs> and a tower and he made the wine press. Like he did the protection, <laughs> the hedge around, and the. T I'm assuming the tower was for a watchman to look and watch. <laughs> There's lots of talk of the watchman through scripture. And then the wine press is like. He is anticipating a crop. <laughs> there's, there's an anticipation that this thing is going to produce something. And so he's made the preparation for that ahead of time. 
God wants his church to be fruitful. We see a couple of descriptions of God's protection. Job chapter 1. Might as well just turn there and we'll read the verse. In Job, we have this man who is righteous and serving God. And we have the conversation between Satan and God about this man. And God is the one that instigates it, which is very disheartening for many of us. (laughs) He says, have you considered my servant Job? He's an upright man. He's perfect. Job 1 verse 10, verse 9 says, Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. God put a hedge, much like a hedge about a vineyard, around Job. It was a protection that he was untouchable. God, I didn't look up the verse, but God um, calls his people. He says, come out from among them and be ye separate. (laughs) Touch not the unclean thing. God wants his people to be separated from the world. And so he puts that hedge of protection about his people. There's a difference, there's supposed to be a difference between God's people and the world. There should be a distinct line that defines us from them. And that's what God is looking for. If you can't tell the difference in the life of someone who claims to be a Christian and someone who doesn't, there's a problem in that. We are supposed to be different. Which is why God gave all these rules and all these things, all this instruction to us. That's why we have such a a large book. To give us that instruction of how we are to be different from the world. And so he puts that hedge about his church to protect the church. That hedge could be, you could look at the law as that hedge. is The law is for our protection, for our good, to keep us from the world to keep us from sin. Now, if you want to turn to Jeremiah chapter 13, God has a purpose in hiring husbandmen. Husbandmen is a just the farmer, the caretaker, the person, the gardener is a husbandman. God has a purpose in that. And like I said, he didn't, God didn't just come down and set up his church and start ruling in person. He established the thing and he put these protections in place. And he gave people the, the job of taking care of that thing. Jeremiah 13 verse 11 says, For as the girdle cleaveth to the loins of a man, so have I caused to cleave unto me the whole house of Israel. 
and the whole house of Judah, saith the Lord, that they might be unto me for a people, and for a name, and for a praise, and for a glory. But they would not hear. And this is God's purpose in establishing his people, is that we would glorify God. God wants to be glorified in his church. And then if you, I don't know if I've ever turned to the Song of Solomon before, and yet here we are. Let's go to the Song of Solomon. I mean like in a sermon. <laughs> I've read it. <laughs> but the Song of Solomon, chapter 8, has a very interesting passage here. Song of Solomon 8, verse 11 and 12. It says, Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Hamon. He let out the vineyard unto keepers. Every one for the fruit thereof was to bring a thousand pieces of silver. My vineyard, which is mine, is before me. Thou, O Solomon, must have a thousand, and those that keep the fruit thereof two hundred. Thou that dwellest in the gardens, the companions hearken to thy voice, cause me to hear it. And just this picture that we have, again, of a vineyard, and it says he let it out, he rented it out to husbandmen. But you look at their job was to produce fruit for him. <laughs> this is Solomon's vineyard, and he rents it out, and he says they're to bring in a thousand, was, was it pieces of silver? <laughs> I lost my spot. Yeah, pieces. To bring a thousand pieces of silver, that's the rent that they had to pay. And he says, my vineyard, which is mine, is before me. O Solomon must have a thousand, and those that keep the fruit, they're of two hundred. And so there was a payment. You, you got something for your work. You weren't expected to do the labor for nothing, but, but God wants his vineyard to be fruitful. And he expects to gather something of that fruit in the end. And so we see this picture that Jesus is building in Matthew 21 is of this vineyard. And he's, now he's lent it out. He's rented it out. He's got people that are hired to take care of this thing. And that is the job of the prophets. Get back to Matthew here. <clears throat> Verse 34 in Matthew 21 says, And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it. He sent his servants to the husbandmen when the time was near. And we can see, just even from this passage, we understand that those servants are the prophets. Like the Old Testament prophets are those servants that God sent to the vineyard, to the husbandmen. And he describes the treatment that they receive. Here's 
you look at 2 Chronicles 36, verse 16, Chronicles 36, verse 16 says, But they mocked the messengers of God and despised his words and misused his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people, till there was no remedy. And this is how God's people, (laughs) the leaders of God's church, treated those that God sent. They mocked the messengers of God and despised his words, God's words, and misused his prophets. And that's exactly what took place And as we read through our Old Testament. We see they beat Jeremiah. They killed Isaiah. They stoned Zechariah. They did exactly what Jesus is describing in his parable <laughs> This isn't a very cryptic parable, is it? (laughs) You look back at scripture and it's an exact description of what the people did. It's just, he's just giving a history lesson. And in the end, he sent his son. This Verse 37 says, But last of all he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. You would think that God's people, that the leadership of God's church, those who were given the job of teaching and caring for God's people, leading them would reverence God's son, right? Like that, that's a very basic expectation to have is that they will reverence my son. Even though when we preach, <laughs> when people preach the truth, it's often not well-received. People don't like hearing that they're doing things wrong, especially religious people. <laughs> Right? We're included in that, but I think I think of our like this church is primarily made up of people who have come from other churches <laughs> because of disagreements with those churches. And you try telling religious people that they're doing something wrong. <laughs> They don't like it. They don't receive that very well. That's our job as Christians in particular, but especially as preachers, elders in churches, is to point out when people aren't doing what God says we're supposed to do. Yet that is very rarely received well. And that's exactly what we saw here. But you would hope that... When God sends his son, (laughs) 
we ought to receive his son. And we did a very poor job of that. And we like to think that we're doing a good job of that. <laughs> but we could, we could go through the Gospels and discover in a real hurry that in our day-to-day -day lives, every one of us does a very poor job of reverencing his son. And in this same passage, he sends the son. He says, surely they will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him. Let us seize on his inheritance. Does that make sense? <laughs> that I'm renting this farmland and yet, if the, the owner is in a faraway country and they send his son, if I kill the natural heir, I'll get to inherit the land? I'll own the farm if, if we get rid of the son that's supposed to inherit? Like, that doesn't happen, does it? <laughs> like, in, in our world, the person renting the land does not gain the inheritance when they kill the natural <laughs> heir. And yet that's really what Jesus is describing, is that what these Jewish leaders are thinking. Whether they're thinking it through and actually contemplating this is what they're doing. It's how they're acting. It's how they're behaving in their response to Jesus. It's like they think if we can get rid of this guy that contradicts everything that we're teaching, <laughs> this guy that we hate because... He keeps trying to correct what we do and say and teach. If we can get rid of him, then this will have all the authority. Will this, this church, these people, will be ours to control. The people were never theirs to control. You are not mine to tell and control and to gain benefits from for my own benefit. Right? If I'm if I try to control the people in the church so that I can increase my wealth, this sounds familiar to something. <laughs> That's, and I exclude, like, it doesn't matter what I do with God, really, as long as I can control the people. This is so common in what happens in churches. It's like we think that it's ours if I can just get that control and exclude God who's trying to <laughs> limit my control here. But that's not how it works. The inheritance is, still belongs to God. And here's what we come to is it's like the Jews thought that without them God would have nothing. <laughs> God can't get rid of us because we're God's people. We are his vineyard. It's like, remember what happened though? He cut them off and he grafted in a new. <laughs> God isn't limited by us, by what people do with what he's given us to do. If we fail with what God has given us to do, it doesn't limit what God can do. And God can start all over again. And that's 
what we need to be careful of here. God, or Jesus goes, he describes all that took place here. And then he asks a question, verse 40, he says, When the Lord thereof of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? He asks the question and puts it in their hands to answer that question. And he says, they answer in verse 41, said, they say it unto him, he will miserably destroy those wicked men. And he's going to let it out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render unto him the fruits in their seasons. They know the answer, right? <laughs> they know, they, okay, you give them the picture and they can answer what should be done to somebody else. And that's exactly, we can go back and look at David and when David um, was committing adultery with Bathsheba and she got pregnant and he ended up having Uriah killed. And then Nathan the prophet comes to David with a story says, well, there was a man that had a sheep. <laughs> and this other man had a bunch of sheep. And he came and took the sheep from the other man. And what should we do? And David proclaimed a very just and very harsh penalty on what should happen to that man for doing this evil. And that's exactly what Jesus just did with these guys. It's like, here's the situation. What should we do? And here comes the hammer, right? Because... We think we're talking about somebody else. <laughs> David thought he was talking about somebody else. But Nathan, the prophet, says, Thou art the man. That's exactly what Jesus is doing with these men here. Thou art the man. You're the one. You're the husbandman that did all these things. And you just proclaimed the judgment that you deserve. And then Jesus carries on and he just kind of changes, it seems like he changes things, but he's just clarifying something for them. He's agreeing with them in their judgment. So verse 42 says, Jesus saith unto them, did ye never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected, the same is become the head of the corner. And this is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. He's quoting um, Psalm 118, I think it is, in that passage. And he continues, says, Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. Thou art the man. It's <laughs> exactly what he's saying. And I'm going to do exactly what you just said ought to be done. I'm taking the vineyard from you. You don't get the inheritance. I'm taking it away. And I'm going to give it to somebody else. They never thought, the nation of Israel never once thought that that would be taken from them. <laughs> And given to these heathens, the Gentiles? Never. It's exactly what God did, though. Because they weren't faithful in taking care of what God gave them to do. 
this, um, this description of Jesus, that Jesus gave in here is interesting. The, the, just, did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same has become the head of the corner. He's talking about himself, of course. These husbandmen, these builders, are rejecting this stone, Christ. And it's become the most important building piece. The whole foundation, everything is built off of that stone that these builders rejected. And then he has this description. Whosoever shall fall on this stone, verse 44, shall be broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. And it's an interesting statement from Jesus. And it's almost like there are two kinds of reactions that end in the same basic result. Some, of, some people stumble over the gospel. They, they're just offended that their sin is condemning them to hell and that that that's this guy that was nailed to a cross was beaten and tortured is the solution <laughs> no i must have to do something right right that that's the idea is like no i i i have to i have to do better <laughs> i'll earn god's favor by doing more good than, than bad that I've done. I'll make up for the bad. And that's people's attitude. And they're offended that they can do nothing to achieve their own salvation. And so they stumble over the gospel, over Jesus. But, so whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. They're still broken. <laughs> And on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind into powder. That's not a good result. If you're actively opposing God, it's much worse than if you are just stumbling and resisting. If you're act actively opposing, it's, Christ is going to fall on you and grind you to powder. And I just want to look at, in Daniel chapter 2, uses this same basic picture. Verse 34, Daniel 2, verse 34 says, well, we have, we, sorry, we'll, there's the image, this big idol that has been made. I'll start in verse 31 just to get a picture of it. Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image, this great image whose brightness was excellent stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. This image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly, and his thighs of brass. 
His legs of iron, his feet, part iron and part of clay. Verse 34 says, Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet, that they were of iron and clay, and brake them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, and the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. I don't think I've ever made that connection before <laughs> between this description of what just took place and what Jesus is describing in Matthew 21. But that's exactly what he's describing, is Christ is going to come and he's going to destroy the kingdoms of this world and grind them to powder and scatter them. There's not going to be a trace of them left when God is done with it. That's what Jesus is describing. find this this whole passage and there's so much I I think each part of it should have been a whole sermon (laughs) because I have had such a hard time to to know how to condense this down all into one thing I feel like I'm kind of jumping all over the place with it but I just wanted to get the overall picture of it here and we see In this end part, we see Jesus giving. We, we see the, the vineyard and all that took place, the husbandmen and the, the servants coming and the sun, up to the sun coming, was historical of what has taken place. He's building a foundation of where we're at, how we got to where we are, where Jesus is standing and having this very conversation with the leaders of the religious Jews. And he points at himself. He's the son that the master has sent. And they're within days of this conversation going to crucify him. They're going to do exactly what he's describing. And in fact, verse 45, or 46 actually, it says, when, but then they sought to lay hands. Like they wanted to lay hands on him right that moment. They would have killed him right then and there. Except they were afraid of the crowd because the crowd respected him as a prophet. He's predicting exactly what's about to happen. He knows exactly what's going to happen. And they're about to fulfill his exact words. And then he's pointing literally to his second coming. This rock that's going to come and crush the kingdoms of this world, destroy them. And in Daniel 2, it described that stone becomes a great mountain and covers, that's God setting up his kingdom. 
a wonderful, <laughs> in, a, in a sense, it's a wonderful <laughs> passage. But it's also a warning. I'm going to end with this one. I wanted to get there. <laughs> and it's important. This is like, this is the most important thing. We look at this and we look at Israel and how horrible Israel was. We think, or we act as if God wouldn't do that a second time. <laughs> and yet, I'm going to find the verse. Reve Revelation chapter 2. The warning is to the church. If the church doesn't, if the church turns into what Israel was, God can do the same thing all over again. Revelation 2, verse 4. As he's talking, they're writing letters to these various churches. And so he's writing to the church. It says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. The church seems to think the same way Israel did, that we're God's people, we're his church, we're his bride. Remember what happened to the first bride <laughs> that he wrote a bill of divorcement for when they rejected him and when they didn't do the way that he asked them to do? And he said, I can pluck your candlestick out too. <laughs> your light is going to go out if you don't behave the way that I want you to behave, like to separate yourself the way I want you to separate yourself. There's a there's two ways that people can respond. When we're faced with being confronted with our sin and what we're doing wrong, and I haven't made any points as to anything specific this morning, I'm just making the overall picture. But one response when we're confronted the way Jesus is confronting these men would be to be pricked to the heart and convicted and to repent. And that's God's goal. That's Jesus' goal. We've talked about this in previous weeks of John the Baptist came preaching repentance. And Jesus' point is like, you saw the people respond to that, and yet you never did repent. You never turned from your sin. And we're still at that point here where they're about to kill Jesus over this thing. The goal was to get them to repent, to convict their heart of their own sin. But the other alternative is to be filled with rage and indignation and anger and hatred towards the one pointing out your sin. We need to be careful how we respond when our, we're confronted with our sin. We have these two options of how we can respond, either in anger and opposition, 
or with conviction and repentance. Let's aim for the repentance. Let's pray. Lord, there was a lot to look at in this passage, Lord. And we could look deeper at various aspects of it, but Lord, I just ask that you would just help us to understand the picture that was given and the warning that exists there, even for us as the church, as the bride of Christ, that there is a judgment for us if we don't do what you've given us to do, if we don't separate ourselves from the world the way that you've instructed us to separate ourselves, Lord. So help us when confronted to have an attitude of humbleness, of conviction, of repentance, and not of anger and opposition, Lord, that we wouldn't be among those who are crushed by that rock and ground to powder, as it describes, Lord. So, Lord, help us to understand, help us to have a right heart, we pray in Jesus' name.